Sten Morgan here. I hope you're doing well. I want to announce that we are launching the How to Be an Elite Advisor course. We are combining all of our best teachings and ideas into a course that you can complete in less than a week. I want to share with you the best ideas that I implement within my practice that have helped me achieve more than I ever thought possible. I want to share how I have unique meetings with clients. What's the mindset of an elite advisor? How do you prospect in a way that'll separate you from other advisors? At the Elite Advisor Network, we reject average. I want to help you see what your full potential is and reach it faster. Set time aside this week to take the course. Click on the link or go visit gobeelite.com. I'll talk to you soon. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Wes Young, a fellow advisor, successful business owner, creator of content, uh, part-time pastor, <laughs> all the amazing things. So thanks for being here, bud. I always love hanging out. Oh, Stan, I've been looking forward to it. Always always enjoy kind of kind of messing around with ideas with you. you. You creative thinker and look forward to seeing what comes out of today. Definitely. So today there's a, a lot we could talk about. I want to focus on for our listeners. What does it look like now that you run a successful team, fully remote? Which even just that component intimidates people. Sure. But let's unpack today. What does it look like to run a team in this business? Uh, a lot of sole advisors uh, kind of bootstrapping it. We all went through that phase, like you you wear every hat in your business. Sure. Most of the advisors I talk to, and you interact with a lot of advisors too, would share with me, someday, Stan, I want a team. Someday, I don't want to have to do everything myself. Like they have this vision, but it feels distant. Or they're running a team and they feel like I'm not good at this. And so I want to unpack, you know, what's your journey been like? And then practically kind of say, what well, you've learned and I'll share some of my you know, lessons learned the hard way. What does it truly look like to run a successful business as an advisor? Yeah, no, no, great. Yeah, so we, we've been in uh, private practice for 21 years. Now and uh, you know started when I was uh, 24, so I'll be I'll be 46 this year. Uh, prime prime age, Sten coming into the just getting started, life. brother. Just, yeah. That's right. That's right. And uh, and and you know the the things today look, look like it's kind of like when you come into the business and and the the heartbeat of what I heard was possible in this business is that if you do it well, you you not only can do, get some of the things everybody wants in life, like you can have a lot of extra time and extra money. But you can also make a significant difference in the lives of the people that uh, you serve along the way. And I would tell you that today, those are those are our reality. They, they, we we uh, now have uh, 12 people on our total team uh, internally, and uh, we operate as a, as a holistic, fee-based financial planning company. So everybody that uh, we work with, we charge an annual retainer fee with. And we uh, also, of course, as a byproduct of the planning, uh, manage quite a bit of money and also put in place uh, as, as most folks do the, for what if say there is insurance and, and things like that. But uh, it, it's really a, a, a lot of fun. The kind of work we get to do today with the clients we have very, very good relationship. I, I work, um, I spend probably 80% of my time working with around 40 clients. Mm. And then the remaining amount of my time is spent really managing in uh, the, the future of the organization, where we're going to go as, as a, as an organization, what that can look like, and maybe even ideas of what we need to to do to to get there. I have um, a fantastic practice manager, um, Stephanie. She's been with me for, gosh, seventeen years now of of, of the twenty one. So she's literally done every job in, in our organization, you know. And uh, and now she more than anything, she has a, a great expertise in estate planning and and kind of that area of project management. But also, is just a really good business mind. And and good at helping kind of move things along generally. 
from an advisor standpoint, um, we have uh, three uh, producing advisors outside of myself. And the way we work, Sam, we work with on teams. So every advisor uh, goes into a meeting with a with a project manager, and that project manager is probably also a lead advisor for their own sleeve of clients. And so what happened many many years ago? In fact, you and I uh, talked about this as it was actually formulating. Is uh, why don't I have uh, Cody in every single one of my meetings? Because Cody would come along and and uh, say, "Man, the meetings really go great when he's in there," and I can, he does the meeting notes when I'm done and. And then as a result, I, I get out of that meeting and, and he handles all the project management going forward with that client. Yeah. And um, that works so well that we transitioned a lot of clients over to Cody and and then uh, he has a project manager. We also hired another uh, producer, Justin, and he has a project manager and they're in the process of doing those same things with the up and coming uh, advisor. So it's kind of this, this ever feeding process of uh, continually upgrading the focus of who we're working with. Yeah. And those guys out. Oh, I love that. And so I, I hear healthy financial planning practice, which there, there's advisors that have healthy AUM practices or healthy insurance practices, but you've, you've built this model to where, and I love that you value your time and ideas a lot and you charge well for it and people are happy to pay you for it. A lot of advisors are trying to figure that part out. So, so you've reached this point where most advisors would say that feels like a dream. It feels distant. Um, some of you listening may feel like that's, that might take me 50 years or a hundred years to accomplish that, uh, backtrack a little bit so that, you know, you can be more relatable. Um, and I try to get better revealing the, the hard things in the early path to, yeah. to be more relatable. Uh, give us a little peek behind the curtain on that. You bet. Well, I do have to admit, I had a, had a really, uh, natural tailwind in launching our practice, uh, because I was an electrician. Nice. And, and as you know, that was the normal way most people come in to be in a great financial advisory service practice. Yeah. And, Selling um, financial plans while you're wiring people's houses. That's right. That's right. I can, <laughs> I can do, it's included in their plan. You know, I can, I can do it all. Um, you know, I, I more moved into the management side and the electrical contracting business. And I had a, I had a uh, advisor that was a good friend of mine and he worked for a large insurance company and he'd really helped me a lot. And I was always just asking tons of questions. I actually would bring him in to the owners of uh, our family. It was like a third generation family owned electrical contracting company to do work because I just, I loved, I thought, man, they really need this. And and if something happens, man, this is going to fall apart. And long story short, one day we we're having coffee and he said, hey, Wes, you ought to, you ought to think about getting into this business. And, uh, and, and, and I guess at that point, I should have realized, man, there must be a really low barrier to entry to this stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, Dan, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I haven't studied this. And he goes, oh, no, no, listen, we'll, we'll train you up and, and, uh, and really get you going. He goes, the best thing is, is like you, you like helping people. You do, you are smarter than you think. And, and we can get you up to speed really quickly. So kind of came to that door, large um, insurance company. Uh, it was commission based, you know, you, you did not charge fee. We didn't even talk about charging fees for our advice. Um, probably didn't have great advice. That, honestly, <laughs> I like had a, a hammer. And so I was like, you need a nail? Because I, I got yeah. a hammer. And, yeah. and spent a lot of time at, at night at the kitchen table trying to help people understand how uh, to how, how, how to come up with the $50 a month they needed to pay for this term insurance draft that we discovered that would be there. And uh, and then months, months, many months later, because I had another na- uh, real advantage is I had this huge natural market. Because mine was made up of people who had absolutely no money. And I don't know if you know, there's a whole lot of those folks out there. That's right. Um, 
so with with those natural advantages were my groundwork and uh and and luckily it doesn't look that way today um but there was there there and, and it, I would say there was an evolution that occurred and knowing now um if I'd have known then what I know now there's no reason why it should have taken me as long as it did mm-hmm. it was fast for for the industry but as you know Stan we don't try and measure ourselves by what the industry does because the industry is a poor standard uh, mm-hmm. by which to 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 do this you, I was uh, looking around and most of the people that uh, were, I noticed in the business that were considered successful, they were repeating their second or third year every year over and over again. And I was like, man, if that's it, I, I, one, I don't think they have a bunch of extra time. I don't think they have a bunch of extra money. And, and I'm not so sure they really even enjoy what it is they're doing every day. They're just showing up and trying to every year turn up the volume yeah. instead of doing it a way that ultimately could increase the profitability and quality of life. I do find um, that many advisors, and I was in this camp at one point where it's like, I know there's a different way. Like there has to be something I'm missing and it's just that voice. And then I think that can be overshadowed at times. Like, but I'm making good income and it's not a bad job and I'm getting better sales, but we'll have advisors come to our events and even, even ones we'll coach. And it's like, they've been in the business for 20, 30 years and some that have been in for two or three years. And there's this common feeling of like, I'm missing something. Yeah. And for some that could be like, I want to lead. I don't want to just sell. I want to build a business. I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I want to just be a technician and get paid well for just the knowledge I have. Like, but to your point earlier, the industry says, just figure it out, sell hard, and eventually it'll work out. Um, And and I fear that there's a lot of good advisors that are not in the business anymore because they just couldn't cut it in that, that lane. Absolutely. No. I mean, we have many people on our team that chose to, they they were surviving in that lane mm-hmm. and they chose to not participate in that lane any longer simply because they, they didn't like it. They were like, hey, look, this is what it's about. And I, I just, I don't care to do it this way. And then they uh, connected with our, uh, our organization and we're like, that's a much better way. I'd love to participate in a team that's doing that. And they're absolutely thriving. Yeah. That's great. Let's get a little more granular on your team with the financial planning focus. Let's try to differentiate between a team that kind of is an AUM insurance, because that's probably still most advisors out there. Sure. Maybe you're thinking of trying to build a team around that, or you're running a team. The transition to financial planning, I think some fears are that's going to, we're going to miss out on AUM and insurance sales. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of scary. I don't know if I have the expertise. You were ahead of the curve doing this, but kind of try to explain some of your head trash and, and obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Because when you grow up in this business in the early days and your normal is that you, you give a a lot of things away for free for the privilege of placing the product or managing the money that when you've done that for so long and, and you survived and maybe even, maybe even thrived a little bit, you know, you get to a place, you do it long enough and maybe you're, you know, you you make more money than most people on your street. And, uh, you know, you drive a nice car, you can take some vacations and, and and so the, the, I think the issue with most people, and this is a fundamental for our, uh, it's a core value in our organization, is you, you've got to normalize new that mm-hmm. that uh, our greatest opportunities to recognize our future possibilities is not about abandoning our normal necessarily. Also, not about rejecting new. It's about attention, keeping attention healthy between the two. Yeah. And and so when it comes to this idea of I'm going to go ahead and start charging for my advice upfront in advance. What you're seeing is, and depending on where you're at in the business, you're seeing your mortgaging commissions sitting over there 
mm-hmm. or your car payment or your kid's college or whatever it might be or private school, you know, and you're going, if I do this, what if I don't get that? Yeah. And, and that's a legit fear because, you know, we always say different isn't always better, but better is always different. Mm-hmm. The scary part about that for most people listening is that first part of that statement, you know, yeah. different isn't always better. And everybody could tell their story that they tried something and it didn't work. And not only did their life not get better, it got temporarily worse. But, but the issue with that is this, and this is where I think, you know, uh, oh, I think Roosevelt said it, that, that, you know, it's cur- courage is, is not the opposite of fear. Courage is understanding that there's something more important than the fear. Mm. And, and when you, when you need to just understand anything new, that's not currently added to your bottom line, you know, when fees, when you never charged a fee, Stan, and you see this in the program that, that you get in the Lead Advisor Network all the time, mm-hmm. and and you've done above average in life and you've never charged a fee for that, that fee has never added to your bottom line. It's never, it's never been a part of anything you've done. And so it's like, if I do this, is this going to mess up what I've built? And, 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 and the only thing I know to do here is to let them know, look, one, don't tie the decision to eternity. Like, if this doesn't work after you've done it, after you've really like done it the way we teach to do it, like that you teach in the Elite Advisor Network, if it doesn't work the way you've done it there, you can always go back to doing it. It's it's a test. Just think of it as a small investment. You're going to try it on. Yeah. And here's what we don't ever find, though. Yeah. Nobody goes back to doing it the other way not, once not, they not yet. That's right. So, yeah, that's, so like, that's a great point. And I want to kind of sit in it for a second. The uh, the fear and the head trash around, cause I still have it. Like, I, I don't know as a business owner, um, as, cause we're talking to a lot of business owners right now, you listening, you are a business owner, whether you like it or not, if you were in this business, do you still struggle with some limiting beliefs around, am I a good leader? Um, could I be a better advisor? Am I doing good enough for my clients? Like today, what people could perceive that like you're on easy street, normalize that a little bit for us. What is that like today? Yeah. Um, so I'd say this to start. Have you, have you ever heard of the the artist Jason Isbell? Have you ever listened to Jason Isbell? I think so. If not, you go, he's got a cool documentary on uh, Netflix and stuff like that. But he's, he has a song uh, that basically said it, it gets easy, but it never, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that is true if you are choosing to grow in this business and become better. Because I think one of the greatest questions we I think most advisors are asking this question unconsciously anyway, but when you can bring it out in the open and call it out, I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do is, are you becoming the kind of advisor the clients you're looking for are looking for? Mm. Are you becoming the kind of advisor the clients you're looking for are looking for? Or are you becoming the kind of organization that the clients you're looking for are looking for? Because it denotes something that becoming means I am not that. I need to become something that I'm not. And so it always involves new stuff that you've not yet done or new spreading out or a new hire or equipment purchase or training. You know, we spend, send right now, our annual budget on training and development uh, in everything from, you know, uh, being a part of Elite Advisor Network to, to going to Strategic Coach to doing through these with our advisors. I mean, we, we spend more there than I used to make in really, really good years. Yeah. You know? But I don't think of it as spend. I think of it as an investment. Now, is it mm-hmm. is it at the front side? You're going. I hope this works. <laughs> That's know? right. Yes. But but I really do think it goes back to whether you're you know it's let's just take it down. You're hiring your very first employee, because um, you know what when you're hiring your twelfth 
while you've done more of it and you're better at it, you are going to be better at it. I can promise you that. And hopefully you're removed from most of the process by that point. Um, the, the tricky part is it never, there still is a bit of a mystery there and you're going, I hope this works. And, and, and so I think being okay with a little R and D in your world or a little, a little like having new as a steady diet, not a new year's resolution, but a weekly daily kind of what new things are we trying to blend into the rhythm of our normal is, is a critically important thing to, to make it not so scary. Again, you, you know, I, I mean, you, you and I've talked about, um, you know, some of the, some of the possibilities that we think can happen in this business. And, and, and the, when you hit one, the thing about people is we all have a gap between where we are and where we want to be. Mm. No matter how much success you have, how far down the road you get, that gap never goes away. It just moves. Yeah. Um, it, and I think it's actually one of the most beautiful things about people is that, you know, faith is a substance of things we're hoping for, the evidence of things we've not yet seen, right? So part of life is that excitement about something big that you're pushing towards. And, yeah. and, and I think oftentimes people confuse peace with passivity. They'll say, well, I'm just going to be at peace where I am. But really, if you investigate the matter with them, what they've done is they've gone passive. Uh, their memories exceed their dreams. And and that doesn't mean you need to always, the number one objective is we're growing, we're growing, but it needs to be a next and it needs to be a better. And, and those things always involve new and they always involve future things that you've not yet done or mastered or, or even qualified for. If you were qualified for it, you'd have it. Wow. No, I love that. Yeah. The idea I've heard before is the, uh, are you pursuing the lazy man's utopia uh, or, or it's the curse of comfort, like to a degree where we should look at some of these things as like not positive outcomes. Right. And I think in our business at times, something works just well enough. That could be the worst thing. Yeah. And so I think as I think, I look back at, at being a leader, I, d- I did great when I just was accountable to myself selling stuff like that. That was easier. Yeah. But there was that thing in me that was, that, that, that it wasn't at rest. I knew there was something more. And so when I made my first hire, Jamie, who was kind of an admin role that eventually became my practice manager, that was scary. Wasn't making a lot of money, but still there was something in me that knew I, I couldn't do it on my own if I wanted to have a family someday and, and have balance in my life and truly reach my potential. And a team can be two people. So I think it's, as, you know, as right. you think of, you know, my team's nine, yours is 12, like that. We didn't hire all those people at once. Mm-mm. And no. so kind of, if you can kind of walk us through your first hire second hire and you know, what are some things as if you could go back in time you would tell younger Wes uh, maybe do this a little different or look for this so for the people yeah. that haven't had as much experience hiring yeah and I want to get super practical with these Sten, because these are things that regardless of where you are on that zero to 30 list it, this this matters is um two things that I would start off with one is you, you've got to have an ideal um you've got to have a, a, I'm sorry, an activity matrix, meaning I want you to write down every single thing that has to be done in your organization and who's doing it right now. And through, through your cycle of operations throughout an entire year. And then uh, if you're doing all of them, then you're going to, you're going to go next to all of them and you're going to rank them. You're going to rank them one, five or 10. And, and so 10 being, this is the highest and best use of time to produce to create value in the organization mm-hmm. and it's in, and, and it's important. I do it. Okay. Um, five being, this is really critical. It get done and it needs to be done well, but 
it probably could be hired and someone else could do it or or a software could do it depending on on what the deal is. And then one is we probably don't really need to do this anymore. Um, and and what's amazing to me, Sin, as long as I've been doing this, is every single time we our, our team still does this every single quarter that there are always things that are a one on my list, and there are a lot of things that are five. Um, and and now what we've gotten better at is constantly moving towards ten. Hmm. Is it, really so if I can give them one thing is constantly move towards ten, and 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 do those things that you're best at. And guess what? They're going to be things that you enjoy most because hmm. that, that just naturally comes down to it. Um, we have introduced a second ranking system to it right next to all that. We say now, now on a level of, again, 10 being the most five being it's all right. And then one being, I hate it. How much do you enjoy it? Mm. And because so it's it's impact to the organization, but then also enjoyment, energy giving or draining. That's right. That's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, cause the power here is you can have something that you've, you've gutted through and you are good at it. Um, but you hate it. You just, you just do. And, and so why wouldn't you buy back your time to where you're spent? But great book, by the way, if you've not read it, buy back your time. Um, why wouldn't you spend more of your time doing the things you love and that you're great at than doing anything else? And so the, the constant evolution in our practice is I always would hire based on, all right. And when it was just me, I'd go down that list and go, well, there's all these things. And, and typically for most advisors, that first hire is going to be somebody that's administratively excellent yep. and and can do all those list of things that you should not be doing as it relates to processing applications and, you know, handling service work um, and, and set, you know, even for a large account with your existing clients set, uh, or setting up your, your um, mid-year strategy sessions or year ends, you know, we do surge type meetings. I know you do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but getting, just start there. And, you know, every time three months will go by and we'll do a new one, it pretty much, you know, well, you can read the everybody's cards and go, wow, we, we really should think about doing this differently. So you're giving, you're giving five, you're, you're using fives to identify potential hires. Ones are going away. That's it. And, and tens stay with whoever is, that's kind of their superpower. That's right. Okay. That's right. And then when it, as it relates to uh, the other tool we love to use, and I, I've been highly recommend this, if you're not checked into it, is the Working Genius. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, Patrick Lencioni's. Oh, yeah. uh, they have a great podcast on it for the listeners that haven't heard about it, but it it is uh, so easy organizationally for everyone to follow because there's a lot of great assessments out there and we we take them a lot of them, but this one is just easier for people to understand and follow. So um, you know we we can go as deep as you want in that, but I know we're covering other stuff today. But, yeah. but assessments that has helped you understand everybody everybody is wired and and. It would took me forever to understand they're not all wired like me. Yeah. And thank God Thanks they're not wired like me. <laughs> yeah. Because 12, otherwise 12 Wes is working together. I couldn't imagine. Oh my God. We we would <laughs> we'd have a great time. We just there's a lot of things that would never cross the finish line. I can yeah. tell you that. So. Uh, that's funny. So I, I I think in my experience as where I've had to grow as a leader is, you know, hiring somebody, getting excited, and then just go leading by example. Um, hasn't worked well for me. I've had to tap yeah. into the kind of like the guidance motivation that's kind of become a who thing or practice yeah. manager will kind of help keep people accountable. Um, my strength is not like the cheerleader as much. It's like, yeah. I'm going to blaze a trail. Who's coming with me. Right. But I find that those ones creep in all the time because, you know, a visionary or a leader may have the most clarity on the best activity, 
But like my team, they're all doers. They they love loving on our clients. But at times their measure for a, a great week could be activity. Yeah. And busyness. And and I have to reinsert periodically, or Jamie does on my team to to say, remember, we said stop doing that. Or you you added something that's not beneficial. And so I love that you guys do that quarterly because I don't think it's a, you can do it once and not look at it for a while because there's something about just the busyness of business that creeps in. Absolutely. And you know what I think really helps with that too um, is, is we, we, we refer to it as our ideal week, um, the calendar, because if you can imagine, if you've ever been to like an orchestra and you've heard the orchestra warming up before the conductor gets up there, it just is like chaotic noise, right? <laughs> the horns are playing and you've heard it, you know, and, um, and then the conductor gets up there and brings everybody together and then they start playing really beautiful music. And I, and I think the analogy here is you can have the most talented people in the world on your team mm. that are excellent, just like they can have the most talented people in the band. And, and, but if they're playing different music at different times on different rhythms, or it, it, it's just going to sound like noise. I, that was a big part for me is to say, Hey, we need an ideal rhythm each week where we're not blowing each other up all the time. And, and, you know, Stan, as a, as a point leader too, those of you who are point leaders, your words weigh a thousand pounds. And so if you, in the middle of the day, shoot a text message and say, hey, Stop I'd kind of like to know this, they're going to drop what they're doing, things that you might find more important because they want to get Stan the answer, right? And it's, instead, I would rather them not do that. But to do that, I've just got to understand, hey, there's very few things that can't wait till nine o'clock tomorrow morning in our daily check-in, which lasts 15 minutes. And we go around the room and say, Here's what I need from you. Here's what I need from you. Here's what I need from you. Mm. The other thing I find is we do a, a weekly, um, more tactical meeting that lasts about an hour. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we typically do two things in that meeting. We're always going over some kind of book that we're studying together. Nice. Um, it's going to help us develop and grow and see the world differently and more powerfully. And then secondarily, we're, we're reminding each other of, hey, what is our win organizationally? And for mm-hmm. us, that's, we want to help people increase their prof- profitability and quality of life. And why does that win matter? Because in our effort to get the most out of life, it's really easy to live a marginless life. And in so doing, miss out on some of the things that actually matter most in life. And our, our whole process, everything we do is built to do those things. So it reminds everybody, of, hey, what are we all doing here? And what, you know, because it's kind of like we, we were talking about this earlier with a friend of mine. When it comes to hiring, it's like most people, that you, you, the, the, what story are you inviting them into? Are you saying, hey, come work for me, I'll pay you? I mean, that's that's table stakes. I, you know, any, anybody hiring is going to have that. Or is it, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you. Here's where we're going. And and here's and when you're clear about that, because you, know, you and I have had conversations, Stan, is you're always very clear about, hey, here's what I think is next. Here's where I think we can go. Mm-hmm. And, and if you get excited about that and the impact it makes on people, your values align with mine. Yes, I'm going to pay you. And I'm going to pay you. If our team wins, you're going to win too. Um, you're going to pay, but let's, let's, <laughs> I, uh, we're working on a, a series at, uh, North point right now, and it's called 90,000 because the average amount of hours a person will work in their lives is 90,000 hours. No now, way. now certainly, you know, uncle Ned may bring that down, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then other people who really like the kind of work they do may bring that up. It could be 130,000, but around a third to a little more of your life is spent in doing things we call work. Mm. So if work is a penalty box between weekends, you know, or work is something that you just dread and hate, if it's not an exciting story you're, you want to be engaged in, yeah. man, you're just going to throw your life in something. Yeah. And I, I don't want that for myself or the people around me. And so yeah. we work really hard to try and say, 
what's the exciting vision that we're moving towards together? What do we do about it today? It's not meaning there's an absence of hard things to do. You know, yeah. there's, it, you know, works, works not endless. Like what's your ideal work week? Free time. Free time. All, all week, you know, free time. Yeah. That's not very satisfying either. I, I think C.S. Lewis said that um, the only thing more uh, unsatisfying than having to get out on Sunday morning. On the web for a series oh. in North Point right now. And it's called 90,000. Well, picked up the North Point. No, you're good. We close that down. So they want to, Siri wants to be involved in the podcast too, but oh, good. Uh, the, uh, but, but he, it's, it said that the, the, uh, oh, where was that? Talking about C.S. Lewis quote. Oh yeah. C.S. Lewis said the only, only thing more difficult or unsatisfying having to get up on Monday and, and go to work is, is not having anything that needs you enough to need to go into. A meaning you, there is no purpose. There is no thing you're moving towards and helping to fulfill. So I think it's those things when you're, when you're hiring, yeah, you gotta have tasks. You need to find people that are fit for those tasks yeah. and you, and, and, and enjoy those things. But you also need to like, what story are you inviting them into to experience uh, as a, as a team? And do they couple with that? And are they excited about it? And do you keep it in front of them? Cause yeah. vision fades and yeah. they got to be reminded more than they need to be instructed for sure. Yeah. No, I love that. Let's end with um, imagining a world where Wes did not have a team, that he improved as an advisor, improved his sales skills, kind of stayed in you know that, that average industry path, where you are today versus where you would have been. Quickly can contrast those for us. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, that one is a dream and the other is a nightmare is, is what I'd say. <laughs> so it's that, yeah, that big of a difference. Yeah. Because, because what I knew after a year or two in this business, when everybody told me I was winning and because I'd won the awards, they told you to win. I hit the metrics, they told you to win. But the path forward was you just got to keep turning up the volume. Mm-hmm. You got to do more of what you're already doing. And that was, a, that was a life I knew I didn't want to continue to repeat because that's what it would have been. And, and sadly, a lot of people, just because they've not been either introduced to the information or or really taking it seriously, that's what they do. They repeat their second year, maybe a little a little more, you know, they're a little smarter. They have a little more wisdom, but they reach that place. I mean, I think it was Ben Feldman said, we come into the business in a state of starry-eyed enthusiasm, hmm. and we educate ourselves to a place of sophisticated confusion. <laughs> and I think the difference is I would be in that place of sophisticated confusion mm-hmm. and burnout mm-hmm. and low quality of life probably low profitability mm. and, and where, where the contrast is, is here we're in a place of mature simplicity where all those things I wanted when I came in, which is, Hey, have extra time, extra money and make a significant difference in the lives of the people we serve along the way. I, th- those are, those are the contrasts. Those are the differences. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love that. So practically, I think if, if you're listening, do the activity matrix like today, tomorrow, go through and just kind of rank, what are you spending your time on? You know, what's what's vital, profitable, the highest and best use of your time as an advisor? What are things that need to get done but should be done by somebody else? And there's probably a good bucket of ones that should not be done. Absolutely. Um, but I appreciate you, brother. I think the the tension we all have to live in as business owners is it's not easy. Yeah. But if we want to reject the average industry path, which I think leads to somewhere where all of us say we don't really want to go. We have to learn that like hard things are good. We'll get better at it. We can get in community, EAN coaches, find find things that'll help that be less difficult, but try to let go of the, the idea that like the path of least resistance is the one you want. 
Absolutely. And if I could just give a, a bit of a um, insider commercial for EAN, um, listen, the, the other side of this is when you are looking at that activity matrix and you fill it out, we are masters at deceiving ourselves. <laughs> and, and so having somebody that's also been in country mm-hmm. long enough to look and be able to go, yeah, I'm like, if I had this, this version of myself, be able to go back and tell the younger version of myself, hey, if you just do these things yeah. <laughs> with these, you're going to get there so much faster. So that's what that's what the community uh, of the Elite Advisor Network is for, and the coaches that are a part of it is to really help you help you see things that are just tough to see because you live in the trees, you know, you are you are in the and, and so you need that outside help. And and again, early on when I didn't have the money, when I was still trying to figure out how to do things and didn't know if it was going to work. I always made time and always delegated money for that outside looking in um, coaching that, that needs to take place. No, that's healthy, man. All right, brother. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, brother. Talk soon.